about, uh, I was thinking about my mom this, this week, and we, uh, I'm one of four kids. I've got three sisters, and um, when you have a little bit larger family like we do um, with four girls too, it's hard to find sometimes that one-on-one time with, uh, with your parents, and you really enjoy those times and long for those times. And I was thinking about a time with my mom that uh, we, we shared together. It was uh, my freshman year in college, and I had just been uh, on a ski trip with our church in, in northern Michigan, and I was kind of goofing around, and I broke the top, I broke my, my shin right through, tib-fib break there, and, uh, and, and it was just really painful, and I remember coming home and uh, just being in pain, and, and it was actually the next morning, I think, that we could get into the doctor, and uh, my mom went with me, and that's when the doctor set the leg, you know, and just, uh, just watching that pain, I remember her just agonizing with me, watching, watching that pain and just being there for that part of the, the journey. And I had a full leg cast, and so she was taking good care of me during that time. And then it was, um, it was coming to be you know, spring break time, and um, I don't know how we got to this decision, but I went on spring break with my mom as a college freshman. <laughs> I think that's pretty cool. Um, I don't know where we got to that point, but maybe she was like, Mark, you, you, let's get to the beach. I know you still have a cast on, and I don't know why the rest of our family couldn't go, but we drove from, from Michigan all the way down to Florida and uh, spent some time together with her mom, my grandma, and, and just had a wonderful time together, and it's a special memory that, that I share with her. But as I think about, again, moms and just being there, and we saw on that, that little video, too, of the mom personal assistant, I mean, moms, you are there all the time through difficulties, through breaks, when things in our life aren't going um, the way we, we desire, you know, for, for us as kids. And even when we're, we're younger, and even, when, of course, when we're younger, but even when we're older, we always still need our moms. And I need moments, again, where mom is encouraging me and saying, Mark, you can do this. Come on, you got this. I believe in you. And, and, and we need our moms there to guide us and to get us uh, back on track. And today we're actually going to be talking about making a mid-course correction. We're in this series uh, called Emerge, and we're talking about emerging out of this pandemic. We want to emerge better. We want to emerge stronger. We're making decisions in our life that we say, we don't just want to go back to normal, but, but how can I really make some changes that have some lasting impact where I can be stronger and better because of it? And so today what we're looking at is it's going to take some mid-course corrections. We need to make adjustments along the way. And I think about this last year, if there's one thing we have all learned, every single one of us like never before, is that we have to learn what it means to be adaptable, don't we? I mean, we have had to make so many changes this past year. One, one buzzword that's out there, and you've probably heard it a lot, is the word pivot. You guys all hear that, right? We've had to pivot. Everyone makes a pivot. It's like the buzzword. I've got to make a pivot. Yeah, we've got to pivot again. And we've been pivoting so much so we're like, you know, pivoting ourselves into a, a hole almost. I mean, always changing. Things are always happening, flexing, adapting. And I look at our, our organizations. I look at the church. I look at businesses. Think about schools, your family, the, the different mission and goals you have in your life. We've had to make so many changes throughout this year always adjusting and adapting. We're open, we're closed, masks, no masks, you know, and, and hybrid and, and online only and digital, and it's constantly changing. And so we've learned to have to make these, these changes. But when I look at these organizations, I look again, our families, our institutions, one thing that hasn't changed through all this is we've all still been on the same mission. The mission of the church didn't change because of the, the pandemic. Schools still needed to educate. Hospitals still needed to, to help people get well. And whatever area you're in, that mission didn't change. But what did change? The methods, right? We had to go about it in different ways. We had to figure out some new things. We had to make some mid-course corrections to say, how do we still accomplish what we need to accomplish, even though things are changing so fast? And that's what we're going to talk about today with these mid-course corrections. We can be going in a certain direction. We can be setting our goals, and all of a sudden, things change. 
In the series, we've been looking at this man named Nehemiah and as he's rallying the Jews to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. The walls have been in ruins for 150 years. And even the past 100 years of people living there, those walls were never rebuilt. They were living among the rubble. And Nehemiah came in and said, it's time to rebuild. And if you remember last week, uh, we were talking, remember last week when it was like really nice weather outside and <laughs> it felt like summer and, and boy, good thing we didn't do that this weekend, right? Um, it's a rainy day today. But, but last week we talked about they were halfway at that, at that point building the wall. And when you're in the middle of a vision, when you're in the middle of pursuing something, that is one of the most challenging times. And they have to fight through, but remember they made a mid-course correction last, last week that we talked about. Remember what it was? The attack came from the outside. And as the attack was coming, they had to change their tactics. They didn't give up on building the wall, but they said, you know what, from now on, only half of our people will build the wall, and the other half are gonna defend and prepare to fight. And so, did that slow down the process at all? Yeah, it was a major shift, a major change. And then they said from that day on, they worked with a trowel in one hand, building the wall, and they had a sword in the other hand. And so you have to make these adjustments and these corrections. And so today what we're going to talk about, though, is not just an adjustment because of an attack that comes from outside and the issues we deal maybe out of our control. Today we're going to talk about what happens when there's turmoil on the inside. What happens when there's an issue behind the walls, when there's things going on between us. What happens when things are going on between people, maybe together at work with your colleagues. What happens when there's issues happening in your home, in your marriage, between the very people that you're trying to be on mission with together. How do we make corrections in that setting and how do we move forward? So that's what we wanna talk about today. And I just wonder for you, where do you need to make a mid-course correction? Where have you maybe gotten off track? Somewhere in your life, a vision, a goal, a direction, a relationship, something that maybe even on Mother's Day is being kind of highlighted that maybe needs to be dealt with, maybe between siblings or between a parent. Or maybe it's your relationship with God that needs to have a rekindling, needs to have a realignment for that. Let's pray and let's just ask God to open our hearts to speak into these areas and let's see what God's word has to say to us today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day that we celebrate moms and just the special place they have in our lives and the way they have been such an important part of your design, God, to guide us in this world and to, to help us navigate the ups and downs of life and to, to also discover you. Father, today as we talk about making corrections in life, Father, some of us have gotten off track, maybe in a relationship, maybe spiritually, maybe with you, God, and today I pray that you would allow us to open our hearts and that this could be a day that moves us back in a direction to restore the, what is broken. We love you, Jesus. Amen. All right, so we're continuing on in our series, and uh, it's, again, a lot to recap. As I've said earlier, they were coming back and rebuilding the walls, and you'll have to come back and listen to some of the previous weeks if you've missed it. But basically, this endeavor was there to, to reestablish Jerusalem as the, the center of the Jewish faith. It was the, the holy city. They had rebuilt the temple, and, and after 150 years of laying in ruins, now it was time to rebuild those walls. And by rebuilding the walls, wasn't to separate themselves and isolate themselves from the world. It was to establish themselves as a beacon to the world, that they would be blessed to bless others, that they would represent God in this world. And, and to really shine God's goodness and glory, it was to, to God's honor that they were rebuilding the city and these walls. And so last week, again, they had been working. They'd rolled up their sleeves. They were working hard. Now they were defending the wall against uh, foreign and outside invaders, and they were about halfway through. And at this point, you know, you're thinking, you know, if you're in that process, you're tired. The wall's halfway up, you've been working hard, now you're slowing down, you're down to about half pace. 
You've still got a long way to go. And now the people are starting to get demoralized. And there's an issue that's brewing among them that really threatens to derail what's happening. And so we're going to see how Nehemiah makes a very critical mid-course correction to bring back alignment to the vision and what's taking place. So we're going to look at how to make a mid-course correction, and we've got several sections to work through. We're just going to go through chapter 5 if you're following along. And the first of these is if you want to make a mid-course correction, you've got to recognize there's a problem. You can't be in denial of the problem. You've got to see what is the issue. And an issue now comes to Nehemiah, and here's what it is. Beginning at chapter 5, verse 1. About this time, some of the men and their wives raised a cry of protest against their fellow Jews. They were saying, we have such large families, we need more food to survive. Others said, we have mortgaged our fields, vineyards, and homes to get food during the famine. And others said, we've had to borrow money on our fields and vineyards to pay our taxes. We belong to the same family as those who are wealthy and our children are just like theirs, yet we must sell our children into slavery just to get enough money to live. We have already sold some of our daughters and we are helpless to do anything about it for our fields and vineyards are already mortgaged to others. So what's happening here? They're describing a very unique situation that's going on and, and as, they've, as the people have moved back to Jerusalem, as they're rebuilding, some have lived there longer, some have just come back new and there's a famine going on. And in the middle of this rebuilding process now, they're not able to work as, you know, as much on their businesses or you know, on their other livelihood in the fields. And so money's getting tight. They're building a wall. The famine's hitting. And they are running out of money and resources. And they're coming to Nehemiah and they're saying, we're starving. We're hungry. We don't have enough money to buy the food. But here's the problem. Our brothers and sisters around us who have more means that, that are supposed to be helping us or should be doing this project together, they're taking advantage of us. And as a matter of fact, actually, we've mortgaged and leveraged everything we have to try to get some money, and it's still not enough. And now we even are going so far as to sell our children into slavery. And what that meant in that context was if you couldn't pay your bills, then you would offer your child and in a way to make payment, and eventually you could redeem that child back and buy them back and, and pay for them. Now, this sounds awful. <laughs> sounds awful. I don't, you know, all of us go, are saying, we would never do that. How desperate would, you, would that need to be? But at least your child at that point would have food to eat, and you would hope to be able to, re, to, to bring them back into the family. And so there was, a, again, a, a wealth gap. There was, there was this famine going on, and so now they're complaining. And, and we're seeing Nehemiah going, man, not only do I have to deal with the problem of enemies out there, now there's infighting. Now there's struggle happening right amongst us. And what we can see is they were building a wall, but they were tearing down a community. And I think that's such an interesting concept to think about. You can be building a wall, you can be building a vision, you can be doing something, but at the same time, you could be destroying what's happening behind the scenes. And isn't this ironic? Like, here they are, they're wanting to build a city to represent God to the world, God's goodness and his faithfulness and his generosity, and right among themselves, they're not even caring for each other, and they're taking advantage of each other. And so this isn't right. So here we see Nehemiah, he's, he's recognizing the problem, okay? It's being brought to him. The question is, what do you do when you recognize a problem? I know what many of us do, if there's tension, if there's something going on, we just pretend it isn't there. Or we don't want to deal with it, because none of us want to face it. But what does he do? He confronts the problem. That's the second point. you got to confront the problem. And we'll see he did three critical things. He listened Right? Then he thought about it, he thinks, and then he speaks. So when I heard, he says, when I heard their complaints, I was very angry. 
After thinking it over, I spoke out against these nobles and officials. I told them, you are hurting your own relatives by charging interest when they borrow money. Then I called a public meeting to deal with the problem. It's so easy when things come up, when tension comes up. Have you ever had tension with somebody yet? Issues? We all have. And we just maybe don't even want to, we just want, want to ignore it. We want to pretend it isn't there. Deal with your own problems, just, you know, just leave me alone. But Nehemiah, he takes the time to listen, and then he thought about it. Isn't it such a nice environment? The rain is falling. It's just like, you know, you just feel, if you're really tired, just go ahead and take, it and take a nap through the, uh, the hum of my voice. You know, it's relaxing. But, but if you want to know how to, how to, how to solve a, a problem and realign, just keep, keep, keep with me here. Um, but it is a nice environment. So um, anyway, he's, he's, he takes some time and he thinks about it. He stops and he says, all right, and, and knowing Nehemiah, he prays. And he goes to God. He doesn't just lunge right in. He thinks about it. But then he finds the courage to speak. He finds the courage to step out and to say something about it. He's saying, this isn't right. And he, and he calls the leaders together. Think about the risks that he was taking, though. These were the nobles. These were the officials. These were the wealthy ones. These were the landowners. These were the ones who had the means. They could have derailed his project in an instant, right? How easy would it have been for, for Nehemiah to say, you know what? Um, I'm not going to address those people. That could really hinder what we're trying to do here. And hopefully it just goes away. And, you know, those people shouldn't have spent so much money and mortgaged their lands. Whatever. He didn't make the excuses. He jumped in and did something about it. But what so many of us do when it comes to tension between us and others, we ignore it. And what we do is we mistake tolerating the tension as peace. Right? We mistake tolerating the tension as peace. Hey, we're not dealing with it. We're not fighting. And so we deal with it. We, we just kind of let a situation fester and it gets worse and worse. This last, uh, this last couple of weeks, I had to deal with a situation with someone close to me. And it was one of those moments where it's like things are great on the surface and, and polite and cordial and, and even seem to be okay. There's, there's relative peace. But there was a nagging feeling inside that, that something isn't right. And a couple things that happened were just not quite right. And I remember talking on the phone and all of a sudden just kind of saying, you know what, I can't just pretend that everything's okay. I really have struggle with this situation. And when I put that out there, that was a surprise to the other person. And then that person said something back to me about what was going on. And I was surprised by that. And was that a fun conversation to have? No. <laughs> right? It's never fun with people you love and people you're close to or people you work with to have those difficult conversations. But what happened was we were able to start really getting out what's been festering or things that haven't been addressed or false assumptions that were there, and you got to put them on the table. We got to listen, we got to think about it, right, and speak into that situation. And so don't delay those things. He confronted the problem, and now it allows something to be done. And that leads to the third point here. Clearly address the issue. Why is this a problem? Not just it feels bad, it's uncomfortable, there's tension, or again, between you and God, whatever it is. Why is this a problem? Here's what he said. He called the meeting, right? So he did the hard thing. He's like, we're getting together. And at the meeting, this is what he said. We are all doing what we can to redeem our Jewish relatives who have had to sell themselves to pagan foreigners. But you are selling them back into slavery again. How often must we redeem them? And they had nothing to say in their defense. So what he's talking about, again, this is not something that we necessarily can understand in the way that it works in our society, but Nehemiah was coming back, and so were some of the other Jews, Jews that were there, and if they heard that a certain family member had sold a son or a daughter into slavery, they would say, okay, what do we owe you? And they would take their money, and they would say, I'm gonna, we're going to pay you that debt, and we're going to free them back to their family. And they were redeeming them back one after another. 
And Nehemiah had been about this, and now he's saying, this is what we've been doing to redeem them, and you're selling them right back into slavery again. You're working against the very principle of what we are trying to do. We might be building the Great Wall, but what's happening behind it is really problematic. And when I think about that, even in in our own lives and what we're pursuing, we can try to pursue great visions and, and try to do great things, but what happens on the inside is really critical. I'd put it this way, right? Don't let the pursuit of the vision compromise your character. Don't let the pursuit of the vision compromise your character. What good is a completed wall if the life of the people inside the wall is miserable? Right, to have this beautiful wall, this shining testimony, testimony to, to a great God, and yet this kind of stuff is happening behind the walls. And so we've gotta address the problem. What is the issue and how do you do that? When I think about this idea of redeeming and freeing others, in, in our context, we heard today, you know, Kyle mentioned that in a couple of weeks, we've got our free to run, the run that we have here. And whether or not you run or if you just wanna walk or you just wanna sit or donate, it doesn't matter, but what we're doing is we're raising funds to help an organization that helps in modern day human trafficking. And so if we did that and we, we raised those funds, we support this organization, but then we did things that were counterproductive to that, that would really be an issue, wouldn't it? Be like, why are you doing this? And that's what was happening here. And so he's saying, we can pursue this vision, but we've gotta deal with what's happening behind the walls and deal with our character. So he pushes on further and he just says in verse nine, what you're doing is not right. Should you not walk in the fear of God, our God? in order to avoid being mocked by enemy nations, it's not right. And sometimes we just gotta step out, we gotta call it out and say, it's not right what is happening in a relationship. Maybe you're seeing right now in your own relationship with God, it's not right, we've gotta do something. So he clearly addresses the issue. And then the fourth thing what he does is he doesn't just say, here's the problem and let's talk about the problem forever. He sets a new course. He says, so here's what needs to change. Here's what needs to happen. And here's what he says in, uh, in verse 20. He said, to them. I, myself, as well as my brothers and my workers have been lending the people money and grain, but now let us stop this business of charging interest. You must restore their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and homes to them this very day and repay the interest you charged when you lent them the money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. It stops right now, he says. From this day forward, we're gonna, do, we're gonna do something different. Stop charging interest, and actually right now, if you're holding someone's mortgage, and you're gonna give them back their land. If you've, uh, whatever you've charged them, you're gonna repay it. Imagine that, that, that challenge. How do the people respond to that? Now we can think this would be, a, they might say, you know, no way, no how, and then it'd be another issue. And we don't know what all the dialogue was, but what we see here is this next step, is they walked out in that new direction. They walked in that new direction. They responded. Here's how they responded in verse 12. We will give back everything and demand nothing more from the people. We will do as you say. And then they, they praised God, and at the end it says, and the people did as they had promised. I'm so glad about this. They chose in that moment, we're gonna do something. We're gonna restore the relationship. We're gonna make it right. They were confronted with their sin. They were confronted with what they were doing wrong, and they made a decision to change in that moment. Isn't that the essence of repentance? When we talk in the church, that's the essence of repentance where you come to a point where you're confronted or you realize, I'm not walking in the right direction. Something in my life isn't right. I've gotta get back on track. What do you do? They made the decision, we're gonna do it. We're gonna respond. That meant they went home and go, here you go. Here's your land back. What do I, what, how much interest did I charge you over this last year on all these different things? I'm gonna write you a check or here's the money. I mean, what an amazing moment. Their action was demonstrated, uh, demonstrated their, their heart change. It makes me think of Zacchaeus, 
Remember the story of Zacchaeus? He's a rich uh, tax collector. He's one of the fellow Jews, and yet he's, he's taking extra taxes, and, and he's cheating people out of their money, and so he's becoming wealthy, and, and, and they, are, they are suffering, and they're not, you know, the people despise him because of that. He's cheating them. He's doing it in the wrong way. And so Jesus comes to town, and Jesus invites himself into Zacchaeus' house, and we don't read the whole dialogue. We don't know all that happened, but something in him re- recognized, I'm off track. What I'm doing isn't right. But instead of just saying the words, instead of just saying, you know, yeah, you're right, I should do things different, in order to gain the trust of the people and to really show he meant business, he said, I'm giving half of my possessions to the poor, and when anyone that I have cheated, I will repay four times as much. Do you think that changed his relationship with the people he'd been cheating? Right, if he just said, I'm not gonna do it anymore going forward, that's great. But he made a step to say, I'm gonna make it right. What I did wrong, I'm gonna try to make it right, and I'm gonna go forward. And so he restored that relationship. And we start seeing, as the people responded, now they're gonna emerge better and stronger. They just made this, you know, this could have really threatened to take them out, but they made the right decision, and now it's gonna allow them to restore what's going on. The people are gonna be able to eat, have their lands, get their children back, and they can be about what God has called them to do. Two more things here that we see in the story. The next thing is this, Nehemiah leads by example. He doesn't just say, go and do this, and this is what you need to do. He says, you know what, I've been the governor for 12, year, 12 years here. I could have exacted all kinds of uh, taxes and food supplies, but no, what I've done instead is I've supplied it. I've taken it on. I've fed over 150 officials and guests and leaders every week, and you know what, and I'm on that wall working. He is modeling, he is leading by example. And so he takes that first step, and I think, again, a reminder for us, if you're wanting to see a change in a relationship, if you're wanting to get back on track, you've got to take that lead. And then, then, you know, when you look at it here, um, in contrast, in the same city in Jerusalem, several hundred years later, Jesus is talking to some other leaders. And once again, these leaders have gotten off track again, and they thought they were set apart in a different way and had special rights, and it's the Pharisees. And he actually calls them blind guides because he's saying you're, you're challenging certain things and you're not living that out. In Matthew 23, it says this. What sorrow awaits you, he says to the teachers of religious law and Pharisees. Hypocrites, for you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first wash the outside of the cup and dish, and then the, the inside, and then the outside will become clean too. It's the same picture, whether it's a physical wall for a city or whether it's in our own lives. The facade is easy to set up. The outside, we can make it look good, but what is really happening on the inside? What is that transformation that needs to take place? And so the people respond, Nehemiah leads the way, and in the end, the last thing is here is he seeks God's blessing. When we make those changes, when we make those mid-course corrections, we come back and we say, all right, God, bless this. And it's all right, and it's good to ask for God's blessing. And I like the way he, uh, he said it. He just said, remember, oh my God, all that I have done for these people and bless me for it. He's asking God, I'm doing my best. I'm trying what I can. God, would you bless me? So when we look at this story and we think about, all right, that's great back then and, and what the people did, but what about us? And I wanna ask you this question. Where have you gotten off course? What relationship has gone sideways? Or thinking about your relationship with God. Where was it that you were once maybe on fire for God? Where you knew the truths as a child, as a teenager. But slowly life has drifted away and you've gone in a different direction. 
It's so easy for us to get off track and to, and to lose sight of what's most important. You know, some of us, and we think about, you know, Mother's Day and families and homes, we can build a beautiful house. You can get all the right, you know, fixtures and furnishings. You can have all the modern color scheme on the house. You can have the right address and the lawn perfectly manicured. And you can have this great wall. But what's behind it is the issue, isn't it? What's happening in those walls? What is happening in that relationship? When you come to church and husband and wife, maybe you even hold hands and smile, but what's really going on behind the scenes? If we put all our energy on the outward things but don't deal with what's really going on, we're not gonna be in line with what God has for us. Some of us have had a vision in our lives to, to, to make a difference in this world. Maybe you started out and, and you had this great plan for your career. You're gonna be a teacher, you're gonna impact kids and you love the students, you poured everything in, but you know, about 10, 15, 20 years into teaching, those lovely kids become those darn kids, <laughs> right? Gotta get this paycheck, working for a living. Or you pursued something with great fervor. It could happen in ministry. It could happen in the career that you're about. You want to make a difference, but all of a sudden, you lose track. you got to get back on track. You think about those things. How, what do you need to do on the inside? And I think about this, this Mother's Day, too. And I think about, we've talked about, you know, don't, don't let your vision compromise your character. But don't let a vision for your kids compromise your kid's character. See, we, as parents, we have visions for our kids, and we think about that on this Mother's Day, right? We all have hopes and dreams of what our kids can do and who they're gonna become, and, and we believe in them. But sometimes we can mistake building the wall for doing the hard work that needs to be done on the inside. It's great that your kid can have all A's or go to an Ivy League school or have scholarships or, or play, a, you know, play a concerto on the oboe. I don't know. I mean, you great talents and skills. But if there isn't a heart of compassion... If generosity hasn't been developed, if there isn't character there, what good is it? So you send your kids to every possible sports camp or training camp and they can throw the fastest fastball, they can drain threes all day, they're, they're scoring hat tricks in soccer, but they don't know Jesus. We've built a great wall, a great vision for them, and maybe they're even playing college sports or whatever it is, but if in the end, what's inside isn't there, we're missing the mark. And it's our responsibility as parents, and as I think about that on this Mother's Day, what's our role as parents? It's to guide our kids, it's to keep kind of put, trying to put them in the right path, in the right direction. Now it looks different when they're out of our home, isn't it? Obviously, we are adults and make our own decisions when we're out, but the, the role of parents is always there, and always in loving ways, guiding and bringing back to the center. The way that I think one of our primary responsibilities in this is speak godly character into your kids. When you're talking about making this mid-course correction and getting realigned is what, are, what, what is it that we're aiming for? In our house, I'll say a lot of times, Krenz girls are. And sometimes I say, like, Krenz girls are tough girls. You know, when they're, when they're going through something hard and they want to throw in the towel or they get hurt in sports or something, the vision is Krenz girls are tough girls. Get back up, get back out there. I'm not going to pamper you. Unless I pamper you a little bit. You know, you're my little girl. But get back out there, you know, fight it. Right, but Krenz girls are tough girls, but what is it? Krenz girls are compassionate girls. I don't know what it is in your family, what you say. Krenz girls serve. Krenz girls give of themselves to others. Krenz girls are generous. Krenz girls go to church every Sunday with us. Krenz girls are involved in student ministry. They're, they're gonna be a part of that, and, and that becomes a part of who they are. Oh, this is lovely. I'm gonna take a shower here. Ah, oh, all right, a little, little rain coming down there. That's for you guys online. It's a little blessing flowing from, from our Heavenly Father. But we gotta speak that vision into their lives. 
And that's a way of setting a correction. And, and again, how important is it that somebody believes in you? That somebody says you can do that and this is who you are and you start telling them who they, they can be instead of pointing out all the faults and the things with that, that are wrong. And that's a way that a relationship and a vision gets to be aligned again. And just like Nehemiah did, we have to lead by example. We can't just talk it, we have to walk it. What, did, what does it say in Joshua? And Joshua called the people back uh, in, in the Old Testament, he, and he said this. He said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He started with him. As for me, me first, and my house, this is what we're gonna do. As long as you're under my roof and my house, we are going to church on every, every Sunday. I'm not gonna have a conversation with you on Saturday night. We're not gonna ask the questions on Sunday morning. As for me and my house, we worship the Lord together. That's what we do. This is who we are. You set that vision. You set that tone. You've gotta set that example and that leadership in your family. And God's gonna bless you for that. God's gonna guide you on that. And moms, you pour out so much energy. You pour out so much love. You're there for your kids all the time. I think this, this last verse in chapter five, this is, I'm claiming this verse for you today. This was the verse from... Nehemiah said it, but this is for you. Remember, oh my God, all that I have done for these people and bless me for it. You have done so much for these people, your children, your family, and God is gonna bless you for that. You know, and then we sang that song, you know, the line where, um, what was it? The evidence is all around me. And it was just fun in first service to sit with my kids and my family and we just look around and we go, God, the evidence, the blessing is all around that we look at in our families and what God has done for us. And so let's get on track, let's make those mid-course corrections, and ultimately, look, we need God's help with that. And the ultimate relationship that, that God is wanting to, to restore is for all of us, at every one of us, at different points in our lives, we've gotta make a mid-course correction to get back in line with our faith, right? To restore that relationship with our Heavenly Father. And just like Nehemiah was redeeming these people who were, who were caught in slavery or who were sold into slavery, he was buying them back, that's what Jesus does for us. He takes the lead and he says, I'm gonna free you from the slavery to sin and I wanna restore that relationship with you. Let's make a mid-course correction. Like the prodigal son who ran away and he finally said at one moment, I came to my senses and I turned around and he went back to his heavenly father. That's what we do when we restore the relationship that's there. I just wanna close with this verse in Galatians 4. Verse five, God sent his son to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law. He was redeeming us so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. He's restoring that relationship. And if you've gotten off track in that relationship with your heavenly father, he is right there waiting to say, come on, let's get back on track. Let's go forward from here. Let's take a new course together. Because what happens on the inside, what God is doing within us is way more important than anything that happens out here. And when we get it right in our spirit, God's gonna allow us to live that out and reflect that outward in the walls and in the vision and the things that we are building in our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the story in Nehemiah. We thank you for the courage that he displayed that when there was a problem, when there was an issue, he didn't just ignore it or sweep it on the rug, God, he, he addressed it. And God, I pray for some of us here today that, that realize there's a conversation that needs to be had, a course that needs to be readjusted. God, give us the courage in love and in grace, but in truth, God, to speak what needs to be spoken and to find a new way forward. 
Father, if there are strained family relationships today, and maybe they're, they're just highlighted on this Mother's Day, God, would you show a way forward? Would you bring peace? Would you bring healing? And Father, if there are relationships that are broken with you, where we've gone astray and we are just not living in the way, God, that we know and having that relationship with you, may today be a day where we take a step back to you and just thank you for setting us free and allowing us to be called your child. We love you, God, and we give this day to you. In Jesus' name, amen.